From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. The last two years have shown me that people really have decided what their priorities are. People have left their jobs because they want something else, and sometimes they find out they were wrong and they try to go back. People are reinventing themselves and finding out that's what they wanted to do. Um, People are finding out how important their families really are. People have found out, I don't have to spend that much money and it's really okay. That's Susan Childs talking about the importance of priorities and finding out what really matters. We'll hear more from Susan in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors. Join MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Operations Conference, May 19th through the 21st in Austin, Texas. The Operations Conference gathers business leaders and professionals from across the healthcare industry to discuss optimized medical practice operations that address some of the biggest challenges facing healthcare organizations today. Go to mgma.com events to register. Let Scrub In Uniforms build you a free private uniform web store where you control what your team can buy. All of your favorite scrub, lab coat, outerwear, and corporate apparel brands at exclusive MGMA member discounts. Plus, your employees can do their own shopping anytime. Go to mgma.scrubin.com to learn more. Our guest today is Susan Childs, medical practice advisor, speaker, and author. Susan's here today as part of our Leadership Insights podcast, and she explains the importance of priorities, finding out what's important in your life and your work, and bringing emotional intelligence to your personal and your professional lives. Well, Susan, thanks so much for joining us again on the MGMA podcast. Sure. Thanks for having me. You got it. So we're going to be talking about leadership today. This is part of this new leadership series we launched this year. Uh, We've been so excited about it and the feedback we've been getting. So I just want to ask you just right off the bat, then, how do you define great leadership? You know, it's, it's all over the map, but it really centers down to one thing. I'm, you know, I've written a lot about leadership and in interviewing um, CEOs and MD leaders and everything, I hear the same thing from everyone, which is they are there to serve. And that's what I find is that they are there, they make people better. They make people better than, than themselves. Michael O'Connell's spoken a lot on it. He's great about bringing out the best in everybody. Um, they approach conflict, they're not afraid to do that. They build trust and they also pay it forward. Um, which I love because once you get to that point of leadership, you want everyone to be there and they surround themselves with really smart people. Like I said, they make them better. Um, I just think they just make everybody better around them and they are very even handed. Um, They're friends with everybody, work with anyone kind of thing. Um, They have a good balance. And when you, yeah, when you volunteer and when you give that, um, it really comes back. They do, they do mentorship. Um, and without even realizing that they're doing mentorship, you know, just because people tend to follow them. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. You were talking about paying it forward and volunteering. Um, I was doing some research recently 
April happens to be Stress Awareness Month. And there have been studies done that when they study stress levels of people, the levels of cortisol, the cortisol hormone in the system, that that actually lowers when you're helping other people, when you're volunteering. And so it, it, it dovetails what you're saying. It's not only good for the company, it's good for your health to help oh, out I, people I as a leader. That. I believe that when you see someone smile and you smile back, that makes you feel good. When you're helping someone, I mean, nothing makes me happier than when I'm in a practice and I make it easier for someone to do their job. That's why I'm there. So yes, when you're helping someone and you can make it better for them and the volunteering, you really do get back tenfold what you put in. You really do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. And Let's just for, I know a, not, a lot of our listeners know you already for your affiliation with MGMA and being part of this healthcare community over the years. But for those that might not, just walk us down memory lane a little bit. Talk about, a little bit about some of the highlights of your healthcare career that have made you the leader that you are today. today. Well, I did not intend on becoming a manager. I joined a practice to do their accounting. I was in public accounting and I joined their practice to do all of the accounting. And then I was upfront from three to five because Elaine went home. It was a great job. You learn so much at the front desk, it's amazing. And I finally went to the doctor and I said, I can't do this anymore. There's no structure. There needs to be a manager. And he said, great, why don't you do it? There I was. <laughs> so I became the manager and then um, I was there for 10 years. It was wonderful. I learned a lot. I was a manager for 12 years, and then um, I went out on my own, started my own consulting company, and that's when I got my, um, my fellowship because I wanted the initials behind my name and everything, but I've worked with every specialty. I mean, it's just great. I love what I do. Yeah, so that's what I do now, do consulting and speaking and stuff. Sure. And it grows, yeah. Yeah. But the medical manager never leaves. I really appreciate that. No one, unless you've done it, you really don't know. Right, right. Well, I wanted to ask you about that. So you, you identified an issue. I know as a consultant, a coach, a mentor over your years, you're always coaching and helping people. But even when you were early in that career, it looked like you identified an issue. You brought it to the attention of people. Is that just set in your, your DNA? Had you always had that kind of problem solving gene in your, in your system? Well, someone, I call it being proactive. Some would call it, call it being a little bossy or aggressive, <laughs> but you know, I, I don't know what to say. I, you know, we make our world happen. We sit back, but you know what? Talk about leadership, leadership, leaders don't wait for things to happen. They make things happen. And I remember before I became the manager, a PA walked by my office and she had the old administrator sign and she put it on my door. And I said, I'm not the administrator. She said, it's okay. We know what you do. So people make, I think there's leadership in everybody. I think everybody has something to offer. Not only, you know, there aren't only certain people that become leaders. I think everyone has something. You know, everyone's an expert in something. Our brains are different by the time we're 20 years old. We're all each, our own each individuals by then. But I think that, you know, you just kind of fall into it sometimes and it just kind of happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It reminds me, I hope I won't butcher it, that Gandhi quote, be the change you want to see in the world. And yeah. that sounds like you you were, you were wanted to be the change you wanted to see in that practice right in front of you. You wanted to make sure that those things got changed and got done. Well, I loved the practice. I loved the patient. And a nurse actually said to me, Miss Annie, um, 
she retired and I took her to the doctors after she retired. She was a wonderful woman, wonderful woman. And she said to me, you know, I didn't know how you would be as manager because I hadn't been there that long. She said, but I saw how you were with the patients and I knew it would be okay. And really, however many years later, it is. It's all about the patient and everything else stems from that. The patient and the doc, everything surrounds that. Hmm. Yeah. So currently in, in your experience these days, you're mentoring and helping people in the industry, but talk about some of the mentors you had along the way that helped you. My, my first mentor was Sylvia Eisenhower, and she was um, my study group leader, and she was amazing. She was with MGMA for a number of years. She's not anymore, and some people may still remember her, and she was older when she did my study group. She is still a mentor of mine. She's in her late 80s, She's an incredible woman, a mind like a steel trap. And I remember when I handed my first essay to her in, in, um, in thinking about things and, and practicing essays, she looked at it and said, why don't you do this again, hon, and gave it back to me. <laughs> so, you know, um, so she was a great mentor. Actually, the manager who was at the practice before me became a mentor because I kept finding things in the desk drawer, as many managers do. And they call the previous manager and say, what is this and what do I do with it? And she just kind of became my mentor naturally. And she's a natural leader. She's a natural mentor. And her name is Sue Powell. And she was just amazing with me. And she understood the practice. She understood what I was going through. And so she was a great mentor to me. Another one was a doctor that I worked with um, who turned out to be very burned out at the end. But in the beginning, he taught me so much about privacy and how to treat patients and how to take care of things. I learned so much from him. So I'd say those three. Yeah. Okay. So you and I were talking offline um, before this recording. We're talking about a project that you're involved in of the writing of a book. It sounds fascinating on position leadership. Tell us about that and where you are, I guess, in the writing process right now, as far as that's concerned. Right now, it's probably in its second or third draft. There's probably 30 or more to go. You know, it's <laughs> you edit, 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 edit. It's, it's going to be a beautiful book. The American Association of Physician Leadership is going to be publishing it. And it's called The Emotionally Intelligent Physician Leader. And it's wonderful because it's about all of our experiences with the physician. And it's kind of, it's from my point of view, but I'm also interviewing physicians and from their point of view with emotional intelligence, for example, how to, how to treat your staff respectfully and the interchanges and how they happen. In the early 2000s uh, is when the relationship between the administrator and the physician really changed and the physician became much more involved in the practice. And they have a very different relationship they did than they did a generation ago. And there's much more you know, involvement in the daily operations. So there's much more involvement with the staff, more with their peers, and I think it'll be out, it'll either be in the fall or maybe the first year, but maybe in the fall. Okay. But I've done case studies. It's wonderful. Yeah. What, give us an idea. What's the structure of the book? How did you, you're talking about the physician leader. What's sort of the journey or some, maybe some of the major uh, chapters or themes that you developed in that book? It's, it's going to be divided into three sections because that's how doctors look things up, whether by... <laughs> Really, because it's by either by patient, by peer, or by staff. Because if they have an that. issue, that's how they're going to look it up. And it's going to have it has to do with communication. It has to do with financial controls because there has to be a lot of trust with that. It has to do with managing your peers, managing up, working with a board. Um, if you're new to a practice, um, approaching conflict. 
Um, and it's, I think I've done 17 case studies on my experiences with a physician with case studies, everything having to do with me complaining that there's bad coffee and coffee is an operating supply and getting the doctor to agree and getting better coffee for the staff and getting um, the doctor to recognize the rest of the staff and also just working together. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it can be the little things like just getting better coffee for the staff that can really make a difference. The front desk, front desk always complains because the doctor stays away from the front desk because they don't wanna see the patients seeing them. So they avoid the front desk like the okay. plague. Okay. So what they do is they tend to stay in their clinical areas because they're clinically minded. That's how they're trained. They never come up to the front desk and say, good morning. Meanwhile, think about this. The front desk runs your schedule, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to be really nice to them. The, the doctors working on productivity and scheduling, they know their front desk because they want all the best patients on their schedule. It depends how it is. So yes, it's a lot about communication, um, about interactions with others, how to treat people. And it's working with staff, peers, and patients. Well, it sounds wonderful. And we're excited about this. I know, uh, as you said, it could be out either in the fall or even early next year. And we're going to have to have you back on to talk about the book once it's published where I we would can, love to thank you. Yeah, so we'll do that. So anybody that writes a book has to have some general love or strong like of books themselves, you know, and so What's a book that uh, inspired you or that's a favorite book of yours? Um, I actually don't read that much because I have dyslexia. Oh my so gosh, it takes, okay. Oh, no, that's fine. It's just, you know, it's something you live with. Yeah. So, you know, it takes me 10 times as long to read something. I can write things backwards and upside down, no problem. <laughs> um, so I will listen to books and I don't read that much for leisure. Leisure, I'm sorry to say, I should read more. Mm -hmm. um, but my two books that really for business that influenced me, I think um, Dale Carnegie's How to Make Friends and what is that? Yeah, How to How Win, to, friends, how to and win friends and Influence People. Yeah, it's such common sense. It's so great. And there's this section at the end with how to make your husband and wife happy. It's hysterical, <laughs> but it's good common sense. You yeah. know, he's the one that said, what are the two things that people like to hear most? Their name and thank you. It still holds true. Mm. And I love it's very practical and common sense. And the other one, of course, is Emotional Intelligence. Um, you know, by Travis Bradbury and Gene Greaves. So okay. those two are just a really good staples to go by. Well, good. I will put uh, links to both of those books in our show notes. Uh, yes. So people can, I know they've, they're both classics. They've been around, but still that's, as we find, as you were saying, some of that information is simple, but it's the stuff we need to be reminded. You know, it's some of those, the simplest things. And I know that's part of being a good leader, right? Well, you know, part of being a good leader is managing up and working with others. Dale Carnegie covered it a million years ago. Mm -hmm. It doesn't change. It just has a different name. It's like naming paints. It's the same thing. You can call it teamwork or you can call it collaboration or you can just call it respect. It's all the same thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So I want to go back to the uh, FACMPE. Uh, you had mentioned that you have that earlier. Talk about that, because that is a real decision to make for healthcare leaders to take that kind of a step, the kind of commitment that's going to uh, take for someone, but then the difference it can make in their careers as well. So talk about your decision when you were, you know, weighing the option of maybe doing that or not doing that, and then how you've been able to utilize some of that information uh, in your own career. 
Well, I, I'm telling you, and I, I'm not, I mean, I guess I am promoting FAC MPE because, well, first I was the advancement chair. So you asked the right person this question. It is so important. It is so important. I was at a CASEL meeting and I was up presenting um, for AC MPE and someone said, they raised their hand and they said, you know, very arrogantly, well, I just got my bachelor's and I just got my master's and what is this going to do for me? And I just kind of looked at him and everybody was staring at me and I had no idea what I was going to say. And I said, so when did you get that? And he said, a year and a half ago. And I said, that's wonderful. Congratulations. What has happened in the last year and a half in healthcare? I mean, if you wait five minutes, it will change. And the thing about FAC MPE is you keep topical. You really keep topical and you have to with healthcare. You also, you get this incredible knowledge, this well-rounded knowledge along the way. Like I know a lot about accounting. I knew a lot about certain things, but I didn't know a lot about others. And when you get that fellowship and certification, it's not hard to do. You already know this information. You're just putting it on paper. And the certification, I think was harder than getting the fellowship just because I don't test well because of the dyslexia. Okay. So um, to me, getting the certification was harder, but that's not, again, it's not hard. It's what you already know. Many people take it the first time and they pass because they already know it. It's just fine tuning and taking the study group for a while. Mm -hmm. And then with the fellowship, everyone has experiences they can write about. Everyone has something they wanna know about. And you get that knowledge along the way, but you create these bonds and these friendships that I've had since 2004 when I got mine, you know, Venus Viscus and um, Tracy, um, all these great people that I've known for a really long time, Michael O'Connell, you know, you make these affiliations and friendships and they don't go away. They're great bonds. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. So um, I want to switch gears a little bit then, not getting too deep into the pandemic itself, but it has been a huge disruptor to our personal lives and to the healthcare industry as well. So what is what is it revealed to you as a leader? The last two years have shown me that people really have decided what their priorities are. People have left their jobs because they want something else. And sometimes they find out they were wrong and they try to go back. People are reinventing themselves and finding out that's what they wanted to do. Um, people are finding out how important their families really are. People have found out, I don't have to spend that much money and it's really okay. Because you couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do right. anything, right? And I mean, that's, that's what I discovered anyway. And, you know, I think that in the hiring, I mean, the staff shortage has been horrible. I applaud every single manager. Oh my God, like I said, the manager never leaves you. And every single day with people calling out, I mean, five people leaving, the turnover. I'm working with some practices right now where they're spending more time hiring people than anything else. And they can't even do their job. You know, MIPS, everything else, forget it. You know, they've been kind of, too, they're just trying to keep people in there. Um, I work with a practice in California that had to close one of their offices for a couple of weeks because they couldn't staff it. And they moved everybody to another satellite and, and all the managers have covered for everybody. So I think we've all learned that what we're looking for in a workplace and in our family, and no matter what generation, and I'm presenting on this next week in California, no matter what generation staffing, they all want the work balance. That's one thing they all have in common. I think MGMA just had that stat of 56% of um, people are looking for more money, but that's 44% that are looking for something else. Mm -hmm. And I used to work for the cheapest man on the planet. I've always had to promote a really good place to work. So if you promote a family lifestyle, if you promote respect, and if you feel a good value and a part of it, I think that's what people are really needing. And also practices are needing to kind of come together. I'm doing a lot of retreats and practices are doing their own come together meetings because we've been handling things so 
disjointingly. And so putting out fires and just trying to see patients and keep everything going, it's nice to have a good come together meeting or a party or retreat or whatever, just to say thank you and yes. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And as far as these last, oh, I guess it's been about just over two years now. So about 25 months since you know the pandemic really kicked in. What have you added to your toolbox? I know that you've worked on, you've been working on this book. You're in, you know, several drafts into it now. It, is that one of the things that's expanded you as a writer or what, what, I mean, what would you say it did to you in your toolbox? I mean, it just, it just made me more aware of what was really going on. It just built upon what I was already doing. It didn't really change anything other than I didn't spend any money, didn't get to go anywhere. But other than that, you know, um, you know, I was able to be at home, working at home. I was very fortunate. I didn't have to deal with the staff of people or, or doctors or, you know, someone coming down with COVID or a patient giving me a hard time about wearing a mask. I didn't have to deal with all of that. So I had it really easy. So I was just really able to do what I was doing and make it better. I actually visited my brother who was very sick um, several times. So I was able to do that. Well, that's good. That's yeah. good. Um, I want to touch on one or two more topics before we sign off. So one of those is staffing. So as you know, and all of our listeners know, staffing is just a huge, huge challenge in healthcare right now. So do you have a success story with us that you can share with us about how a successful leader has, you know, helped improve that staffing issue, those staffing challenges out of practice? I mean, everyone's had them and, and really, you know, money seems to be the qualifier. I mean, a lot of people were underpaid. It's, mm -hmm. it's, and, and, but small practices can only afford so much. They really can only afford so much. A family practice gets squat. I mean, they get nothing from insurance companies. You know, if you're a specialty, maybe you can build a little more and even they're getting screwed on it. You know, they're just, I mean, Blue Cross just sent a bunch of letters to a bunch of people saying, take lower rates or you're going to have to go according to the, you know, the new, um, the cost sharing, not cost sharing, but, you know, giving out the, the uh, amounts, no surprises act. You're going to have mm -hmm. to follow that if you're not part of it. So you either take lower rates, you, lower uh, rates, or you're going to have to, um, or just, just do that for every single patient that comes through your door. I mean, what are doctors supposed to do? It's getting tighter and tighter and they want to provide quality care. So people are having to work smarter. Um, you are having to raise wages. Wages. I mean, everyone I know has had to do that. I think the average that you said was 5% for MGMA that it was raised in the last year. And maybe some people are catching up and maybe some people are just having to do it to keep good people. But when you value good people and you let them know that and why they're valued, people want to stay. All the different generations, millennials, um, everybody, they want, they want a mission. They want a purpose. And there's no better industry to be in you know, because we, we heal people and it's, and we do it together and it's bonding. You can't get any better than that. So I, I always sell the value of the practice, the value of the staff. I remember hiring some people saying, I'm trying to build a really good team. I'd really love for you to be a part of it. That was not intentional. That was authentic, but people love that because they want to be a part of something. And in a smaller practice, even though you're doing more and maybe overworked and in a larger practice too, maybe you're a larger part of the picture but you're valuable. The front desk is valuable. And if everyone feels that and you enunciate that, and we all work together. It's more of a lifestyle that people are looking for. And that's what I like to sell. Yeah. yeah. So as a final thought, then 
what is some advice you can give to leaders out there, no matter where they are on their journey? Maybe they're early, you know, careerist leaders. Maybe they're in that middle part of that career or winding down, but that leadership role can still apply. So where, how do you want to address that? And what advice can you leave us with today? Don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. (laughs) (laughs) We need you. We really need you. I mean, look at what they've done. The managers right now are making history. It's a beautiful thing. We're making history. You know, and I wrote about, you know, um, one thing I wrote about was conflict during times of turmoil. Right now, you know, your survival instinct is the strongest. So if we take care of each other, you know, that's the key because that's what we're all looking for. But if you're a new manager, I would say find a mentor, find someone, go to a local medical manager's meeting and find a mentor. You will learn so much from your peers. Look around your room. You will learn so much. Be open and inviting to everybody. And if you are a more experienced manager, try not to be so jaded. We've been through a lot. And, you know, try to learn from younger managers about what they learn. There is you know, there is reverse mentoring. We can learn from younger, just like older can teach younger. You know, doctors are doing that. Um, Procter and Gamble does that. So, you know, just we can all learn from each other, find a mentor, go to meetings and, you know, everyone has something to offer. So just offer what you can and speak up because we are setting the new standards. So speak up. All right. Well, Susan, it was so good to have you on the show again. And thank you so much for sharing your leadership journey and your leadership insights with us today. Thank you. Take care. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Susan Childs. We'd also like to thank MGMA's Operations Conference and Scrub In for sponsoring this week's show. The Operations Conference will be held May 19th through the 21st in Austin, Texas, and will gather business leaders and professionals from across the healthcare industry. Go to mgma.com slash events to register today. And let Scrub In Uniforms build you a free private uniform web store where you control what your team can buy. All of your favorite scrub, lab coat, outerwear, and corporate apparel brands at exclusive MGMA member discounts. Plus, your employees can do their own shopping anytime. Go to mgma.scrubin.com to learn more. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. And to access all of our podcasts, go to mgma.com slash listen. And if you want to add to the conversation, email us at podcast at mgma.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA, Daniel. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.